0: Um, On a good day, I will get one bar of LTE if I put my phone in the window for about five
1: minutes, and that's just to get a web page to load. You're listening to Episode 287 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Last month, the FCC reversed network neutrality protections, a move dreaded and disfavored by the majority of Americans. In 2017, they released a notice of proposed rulemaking that included several other proposals that caught the attention of groups pushing for universal access for high-quality Internet service. The FCC is considering redefining the meaning of advanced communication services to include mobile and satellite broadband. They're also considering taking us backward by reverting to a slower-speed definition. They expect to vote on the measure in February. The impact of each of these changes would especially affect local, rural communities. There are people who already live in this netherworld of horrible mobile broadband simply because big incumbent providers see no reason to invest in sparsely populated regions. You'll notice that some of the sound quality of our interview today is poor, because our guests come from an area of the country lacking good telecommunications access. In this interview, Christopher talks with two high school students who live in Appalachian, Ohio. Lila Gagne, and Heron Linscott. They explain what it's like for those who are already caught in that very dark hole. He also speaks with Deb Sosha from Next Century Cities. She describes the mobile-only challenge, the organization's most recent effort to spread the word about the FCC's proposal. Several of us at ILSR will be making the mobile-only challenge, including me, which I find very scary, and you can too. Choose a day to use only your smartphone for Internet access tweet, and post about it on social media. Let the FCC and your followers know about the experience and challenge more people to do the same. You can learn more about it at mobileonlychallenge.com. Now here's Christopher with this week's guests. Welcome
2: to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, and today I have with me a very special guest some of you have heard before, Deb Sosha, the Executive Director for Next Century Cities. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Chris. Great to be here.
2: Deb, it's great to hear your voice again, knowing that you're going to be back on the podcast. Uh, what have you been up to? We run us what Next Century Cities is doing.
3: Well, we continue to work with cities, towns, and counties all over the country uh, who either have or want to have fast, affordable, reliable broadband. And we're advocating for our cities to receive the appropriate opportunities so that they can either build their own or ensure that every citizen has access. And there's a lot happening around that right now, so we're pretty busy.
2: there is a tremendous amount happening around that. So, next century cities. um, Just a quick clarification for folks that still are a little bit confused about it: it's all kinds of cities. Uh, Some cities that have Uh municipal networks are members, but you don't have to have a municipal network. And there's all all kinds of cities, from cities that have built networks to cities that have not. Um, What's the tiniest city that we have? I believe it's
3: Alford, Massachusetts, and I I, if I'm accurate in my. Memory here. I think it's 400 people live there.
2: Right. And I love hearing that because then you go all the way across the country um, to the southwest, and you've got uh, Los Angeles with uh, with quite a few more people. So
3: it's a it's a wide range, and it's a wide range, and we do have counties as well. It's a it's an interesting mix of municipalities, and we uh, are anxious to have folks join if they're interested. They can check nextcenturycities.org, and it is free to join. And we're a nonprofit, so it's a a good mix of opportunities and unbiased information.
2: And this is an organization for city members. So what I would say to people who might be listening who are activists or business leaders or just individuals in a community who are frustrated with recent Internet policy issues and maybe feel like their community needs better Internet access than they can get from incumbents, is you should strongly encourage your, your, your city council member, city manager, mayor um, to look into Next Century Cities and to join it to learn more about all the many options that they have uh, to try and make things better. Something will surely fit with their community.
3: Absolutely. We'd love to have more communities join.
2: Deb, the reason I wanted to bring you on here was not to remind everyone uh, how Next Century Cities is changing the country uh, city at a time, um, but actually to talk about how the FCC is proposing to change broadband um, one bad rulemaking after another. <laughs> the one that the one that is happening here in January um, is is something that we're not actually sure when it's going to get scheduled to be discussed. But it's this idea of including mobile broadband in the definition of advanced telecommunications services. And I'm curious if you can tell me what kind of gotchas we're looking out for as the FCC considers this.
3: It has not gotten as much attention and we're concerned about that because what the uh, notice of inquiry said that came out several months ago was that um, it was asking whether or not mobile service, 10-1 mobile service, uh, would be adequate to be considered advanced telecommunications so that that person, that community, that rural community, if you had mobile service, could be considered as having broadband. You can't equate that with a fast wireline service. It is a complement but not a substitute. We don't want to be lowering standards uh, for what broadband is in this country?
2: So to be clear, then, if if you do not have a home connection that is 25 megabits downstream and three megabits upstream, you are not considered to have broadband, um, which is a, a speed that the FCC decided after much analysis was appropriate to be able to for for a household to take full advantage of the modern internet. And now, if if you don't have 25.3, but you do have a mobile device that can get a fraction of that speed much slower, then suddenly you'll be considered to have broadband. I mean, that's, that's literally what we're talking about, right?
3: Exactly what we're talking about, which is incredibly concerning. And I think the other piece of that notice of inquiry that folks should know is they're also making that same claim around satellite service.
2: Right. And so here, there's just all kinds of issues around data caps and and other... Um, problems that go along with considering either slow mobile service or satellite to be um, satisfactory. I mean, one that pops into my head immediately is um, just that we don't actually know who has access to these services. I mean, I might be in a census block and I might have pretty decent service, but my neighbor a mile away may have terrible access. And yet we would all be considered to have broadband now suddenly. And what are some of the other concerns that that you have about um, changing this definition in that way?
3: First, I I think as a country, it should be always our goal to set a standard that's actually a, a standard that meets the needs of the majority of Americans. And a mobile device with, as you said, a data cap is a very expensive alternative and in addition it can't meet the needs of multiple users within the same household it's a confusing thing the way that i think about it as a former educator is if i had a classroom full of students and a lot of my students were failing i would not you know raise the the failure mark so that i could get more kids to succeed i would instead change the way i'm teaching them i would change the intervention so that children would learn what i needed in this case it feels like we're taking a standard And in order to say more of America has broadband access, we're going to change the standard rather than change the intervention.
2: Well, I think that your problem is that as an educator, you are not getting enough money from the parents of the failing children. (laughs) Let me me pivot to what uh, we're going to do about it. I mean, one of the things that people sometimes don't get is what it's like to live without – a high quality access. And so um, what, is, what is Next Century Cities proposing, along with a number of partners at this point?
3: We have just started something called the Mobile Only Challenge with a group of partners. And what we're asking people to do is go to mobileonlychallenge.com and sign up to spend one day experiencing what so many Americans experience. And that is only using your mobile device for all of your access that day. No laptops, no tethering. And just experience it and tweet about it with the hashtag mobile only so that we can say to the FCC, we believe as a country we should have higher standards and we should be helping and working with communities to improve access and not lowering those standards.
2: Deb, who are some of the people that have signed on to participate in this?
3: We have a wide variety from folks who are gamers to people who work in rural communities to people who work on issues related to the digital equity issue in this country, right? So we know that it's very expensive to own a cell phone. It's very expensive to get home access. Sometimes you have to pick one or the other. And they are not equal to one another, and that makes it very difficult to experience. And we just want to recognize how hard that is and understand that we ought to have a goal of ensuring everybody has fast, affordable, reliable home access that can actually meet the needs of today.
2: So I go to the website mobileonlychallenge.com, and I'll pick a day, and then I'll I'll use only my mobile device for that day. Um, What do I do next to let people know about it?
3: We would love it if people would share this information. They would share the mobile-only hashtag and talk about this, uh, read the notice of inquiry, understand what's actually happening. Um, comment to the FCC, let people know what 's happening and let's let 's demand a higher standard.
2: Well, I like that quite a bit now. one of the things that that i 'm certainly hoping to see as well is that people will be maybe making a short video or something about their experience and sharing it on social media um, you know ideally earlier in January to let other people know about it or even challenging people to do it to talk about it. Um, as somebody who uses, um, I use um, Ting, which I've been um, very clear about for a wireless service, and I, um, I pay by the bit effectively, although because I have home Wi-Fi service, I use very little data um, because I have a, a home cable connection that powers my Wi-Fi. One of the things I want to do is I want to see just how that would impact my monthly bill and to, to talk about that some.
3: Right. And also to, you know, if you're making a video, how long is that taking to upload? <laughs> you know, right. it, it's definitely going to have an impact on your capacity to do your work and to engage in communication with your family and to uh, to actually enjoy entertainment. Um, you know, can you live stream a video on your phone? I mean, it changes everything.
2: Well, you're you're running the risk now of a recursive loop in that um, I'll make a video and then I'll upload it and then I might make a video about uploading the video and <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get stuck <laughs> if I disappear, come looking for me. One of the reasons that some people say we shouldn't worry about competition in the broadband space is that wireless is so capable now that it can just replace your home connection. You know, are these connections basically the the same?
3: They are not the same. Mobile broadband access is a great complement to wireline access, but it is not a replacement for it. Um, I think the big issue is whether it's reliable and whether you can have multiple users and whether or not you have a data cap and the cost, all of those things need to be considered. Maybe someday mobile will be appropriately strong that we can actually consider it as a standard, but it isn't today.
2: Well, thank you so much, Deb. I'm um, excited about this challenge, excited to see people's creativity and showing what their life would be like if they had to rely solely on it rather than the, the fixed service that they most likely have. Thanks for coming on the show again.
3: Well, thanks for inviting me, Chris, and I appreciate your support.
2: And now I'm speaking with Lila Gagne from Athens, Ohio. Welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, nice to be here. And are you in high school?
4: Uh, Yes, I'm a senior in high school.
2: One of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you is that you do not have fixed broadband access in your home, right?
4: Uh, No, that is correct.
2: So can you just describe for me how how your life might be different from someone who does have uh, fixed access in the home and uh, is in high school? Oh,
4: yeah. So, I mean, well, because in the high school, you know, ever since, well, ever since middle school, actually, you know, they had introduced you know, like Chromebooks um, and all these new Google applications we had to use, especially in high school, it became more prominent my freshman year. Um, And I guess it was just really hard because every assignment was online. And um, sometimes I couldn't finish the assignment or even do it because there's no internet access at my house and I didn't have a cell phone at the time with data. So I couldn't look up anything. Um, I mean, other students could get their work done. Um, but I had to either stay in town really late, and it was just kind of it was, it was a struggle
2: I guess one of the things that i 'm curious about is uh, how does that impact your additional things? I mean, you know high school's not just about doing homework and learning it 's also about becoming a better rounded person and things like that. You know, how did not having broadband access in the home impact those sorts of things or you know trying to research colleges and things like that
4: uh, well, I had to do like, all of my college research I did in the school. So, like, during my study hall, I would have to research colleges or um, I would finish also, like, all my homework at the school, like, during my day um, so I could do extracurriculars and not have to worry about staying in town super late at my mom's office doing homework. And also, I wasn't really involved in a lot of extracurriculars because I was so worried about my academics more because of the issue so I didn't really get involved in anything until until this year, senior year because now I have unlimited data on my phone and now I can use that at my house and look up everything I need to Well
2: that leads us into an important question which is that there are some people in Washington D.C. that seem to think that if you have unlimited data on your phone that that would be good enough and that we don't have to worry about getting you a better connection in your home How do you respond to that? I
4: would say it's it's actually still a struggle because I, you know, we do have unlimited data um, and I can use that to look up whatever I need, but I've had to type all my papers on my phone. I take college classes at Ohio university um, through post-secondary um, and I still have to type everything and do all my assignments on my phone because my plan won't allow me to use the, um, to use the hotspot capability um, to hook it up to a computer. So it costs extra. And um, so I still have to use my phone. So I would say that it is still very hard and it is not a better option.
2: Well, I guess one, my last question is, I mean, you seem like you are the kind of person who it will persevere through many challenges to succeed, and I, I congratulate you for that. You know, I'm curious if, if you know of, of other people around you who may have struggled more because of their lack of access in their homes.
4: Um, I do. I have some friends that have no cell phone service where they are either. I'm lucky enough to have cell phone service and now unlimited data, but I have some friends that do have internet, but they have a certain amount of gigs they can use like throughout the month. And if they use it all, then they have no internet and on top of it, no cell phone service. So if they do have data, they can't even use that. And some of them are homeschooled and don't go to public school. So they don't, they can't get their assignments done because they don't have the opportunity I did to actually go to school, get work done or look up things before they went home for their assignments.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, we really appreciate the reality check from Southeastern Ohio, um, and I hope that you have a, um, a good final senior year.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: And now I'm going to speak with Heron Linscott, a sophomore in Athens, Ohio. Heron, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Now, you're a sophomore. A sophomore of what?
0: Uh, high school. Yeah, um, I'm 15 years old.
2: Great. Um, The reason we're having you on the show is to talk a little bit about what it's like to not have a fixed broadband access in your home. Is that right? Yes. And so can you tell me a little bit what that's like?
0: You know, I think if I could just describe it in one way, it's inconvenient. It's really challenging, especially since schools are trying to modernize and uh, put more materials online, put more um, references for students on the internet, it's, it's a lot of technology that's involved in our education these days. And I think that not having that reliable connection, it definitely uh, puts a damper on your ability to connect with your teachers and your peers.
2: And many of your fellow students, they do have internet access at home, uh, like broadband internet access at home, I'm guessing.
0: Yes. Um, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's definitely most of them.
2: And so do you feel like you're at a disadvantage then?
0: I mean, I do well because I make the case for all of my teachers. I explain to them that I don't have internet. So um, I try and do a good bit of the work that requires an internet connection at school. The biggest issue that I run into is actually extracurricular. I'm a member of BPA, uh, which is Business Professionals of America. Um, I'm on the mock trial team. I um, am through FFA. I do a lot of things through that. And all of them require a connection, um, which definitely is, is a problem for me. You know, Google Docs are online. Emails are online. And so being, being not able to access those when I need them is really inconvenient.
2: Well, how do you make up for that then?
0: I, I do a lot of it uh, by driving into town. My grandma lives in town and she has Internet, so I do a lot of, uh, my school work at her house, and then I will do. Um, that's for my extracurriculars, and then I also do a good bit of work um, at the school.
2: I, I, I oddly enough, I was one of the first people in high school to have internet access. Uh, It was back when we were all on dial-up and um, and it was, it was remarkable in the mid nineties that we could just go anywhere and get information without, you know, going to the library that you could get current information just on the internet. And so one of the things that that I found amazing was just that like, I had all these abilities to pursue my own studies outside of what I was doing in school. And, and it helped to prepare me for college in some ways. Do do you, do you feel like you're missing out on that?
0: both of my parents have really good jobs and my dad actually works at a university. And so I think that my experiences are not being limited because I'm very involved in my community. So I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm missing anything in regards of life experience. Um, the, the, the main thing is that it's really just inconvenient uh, be, when it comes to being connected and mm-hmm. in, in an era where everyone is connected with social media and even, like I said, our schools were connected through Google Classroom. Um, it, it, it does feel a bit isolated, I will, I will give it
2: that. One of the last things I wanted to ask you was um, regarding mobile broadband. Um, you know, Right now there's a discussion at the Federal Communications Commission about whether households like yours that don't have fixed access, but where you could use a Verizon or an AT&T broadband, um, is that sufficient? It is not. And do you have that option for either one of them?
0: we uh, we had a jetpack. Verizon is the only uh, server that will work at my house. Um on a good day, I will get one bar of LTE if I put my phone in the window for about five minutes, and that's just to get a web page to load. I you know streaming is not an option. Downloading is definitely not an option. Um and we did we had a jetpack for a while uh, through Verizon, which is you know like a mobile hotspot. And that, that did not work in any way. And so eventually we just we just got rid of it. We discontinued. My grandparents, my other grandparents who live up the hill, so their service is a bit better than mine, um, have one. But again, the service is spotty and I have to be sitting right next to it at the window to actually connect and be able to use the Internet.
2: hmm Is there anything else that you want to tell people what it's like growing up, Um, you know, it's sort of in this incredible information age and and being locked out of it in some ways, or at least being severely inconvenienced from accessing it?
0: Right. Um, I think that a lot of it has to do with where we live as well. Um, You know, I live in Appalachian, Ohio, and the area that I live in specifically is, it's very communal. And there's a lot of connecting that goes on without the internet. And so the fact that I am able to, you know, still have these incredible life experiences without uh, internet definitely goes to say a, a lot about, you know, that some things haven't changed about where I live and that it has remained the same. But I think that, you know, sometimes I do wonder, I'm like, oh, wow, what if what if I could, you know, apply to this program and, you know, readily check my email whenever I needed to, and so I think that while it's, it's limiting, it wouldn't completely, you know, negate the chances of kids in Appalachia. But I do think that if we as, as a region are too advanced, then the, the people around us have to be given a fair chance. And, you know, we, we need equal opportunities as people in urban areas.
2: I fully agree. And, and let's hope that before you get out of high school, we're, we at least have hope of, that, of achieving that goal.
1: That would be ideal.
2: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. That was Christopher with Deb Sosha from Next Century Cities, and with Lila Gagne and Heron Linscott from rural Ohio. Remember to sign up at mobileonlychallenge.com and let others know what it's like so they can spread the word that we should only be advancing, not moving backward. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at Muni Networks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 287 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.